So today we're talking about financial storytelling. And this is the practice of actually presenting financial information and data in the narrative form that engaging, it's relatable, and it's easily understood by your stakeholders and even your investors. But this requires a robust financial model. So how to use a founder tell your story in a way that effectively translates some of this complex financial concepts, some of the financial trends that you've been looking at and the analysis of your business in a way that actually resonates with investors and or decision makers. I'm Pessy Jones and welcome to Tech Uncensored. For a startup founder, the goal of financial storytelling is, is really about going beyond presenting some of the raw numbers and statistics, which can be overwhelming and difficult to grasp, especially for individuals who are not well-versed in finance. So your ability to answer some of these questions at a micro and a macro level of your business is really important to obtaining stakeholder confidence as your business grows. It's also It also means that a good financial strategy will be key for you as a founder to make critical decisions over time and articulate your story as your as you your business grows. So I'd like to welcome Yankee Lee. He is an advisor to tech startups today and he previously co-founded co-founded, sorry, an AI real estate company and he's also helped a fintech unicorn get to where it is today. He is both a CPA in Canada as well as Australia. By having a founder mindset, he has helped those who want to change the world in their own way. I think that's amazing. And I want to welcome Yankee today. He's going to help us break down the importance of not only building a robust financial model, but how it actually plays with all aspects of your business. So welcome, Yankee. Hey, Hesse. Happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, so let's start with you. As an individual, uh, you you have a finance background. I know that you know that you actually you went to University of Western and uh, you have a CPA, but you leveraged this as a startup founder. And what has been your experience uh, as a founder and actually leveraging the importance of these financial models, especially as it relates not only to the day to day business but fundraising. I do have that finance and accounting background and I've done financial modeling for like big corporations and past work experience. But what I found when you're trying to build a startup is there's got to be some relearning in a way to put it into a startup context almost. And there's things that you, you learn are new and there's, but because you kind of have that foundation, it becomes easier for myself to grasp, but not necessarily someone who's a founder that has a technical background or a medical background, for example. I think so that that kind of leads us to the next question, because you have that advantage over a lot of people who have started businesses, but let's say they know so much about sales. They know so much about being developing a product or they know so much about a certain sector for the solution that they're building, but they find finance in and of itself daunting. So what are some of the common scenarios that you've seen uh, when you try to help founders who who are like that? Yeah, so typically when I'm helping founders, they, they come to me like, oh, BDC needs our projections to release the loan or an investor wants to see our data room now and we need some projections. 
like it's a very reactive approach to things. Um, it's not good because you're kind of scrambling to put this together. So what I would like to encourage is to have founders think about this beforehand. Now, typically they don't, and that's understandable because you're trying to get your product out there, fixing bugs, you're taking care of customers, right? Finance is like the last thing on your mind. But when you do have a little bit of time, start thinking about that. And you just don't want to be like the type of founder that, you know, when they open up your spreadsheet, it's someone that just put big numbers there, right? Like, and, or, a, you know, a, a, a sliding slope that increases, right? That's kind of like the typical scenario. And so you just want to empower yourself, equip yourself to have these kind of investor conversations and be as prepared as you can. But it doesn't always, you have assumptions in there and you have your plans in there, but it doesn't always uh, work the way that it should. And so what you want to do is empower yourself, be able to say quick answers quickly to investors, and then be, be, be able to back that up with your spreadsheets. Okay. So we've, I've actually experienced for myself, and I've seen this of other founders as well, who need real help in developing the financial model. And this is a daunting task for them. And they've come out of, let's say, finance advisor meetings more confused than when they went in. And I think there, there is a little bit of an embarrassment because they've never done this before and they don't know the right questions to ask. And they, they're not really sure that the meeting that they came out of, actually, I, the advisor himself was not able to articulate in a way that the founder was able to make sense of it for himself or herself. Yeah, it's a very common scenario because people tend to like be in the worlds and they speak different languages, right? So if you're a programmer using queries and servers, you know, that kind of terminology is, is second nature to yourself. And then the finest person, if you're working with them and they never worked in a startup kind of environment, then they're talking like debits and credits and all, all these accounting terms, right? So sometimes there needs to be that that bridge that bridges both sides. It's the same with legal. If you're a startup and you need a lawyer, like you want a lawyer that's worked in a startup world as opposed to just any lawyer. It's the same with finance. You want someone that has that kind of background in, in building a company from, from zero and how to go about doing that. So it is a different experience. It's important for founders to be in an environment where they can ask anything. And then the founder should also be receptive of learning themselves, right? You don't have to learn like every single thing about it, but you should learn high level how your model works to be able to answer those investor questions. Now, you, you've said to me that once some of these founders get into it, they actually start to enjoy the process of, of leveraging the model towards all aspects of their business. Yeah, they do. And you're right when it, the task itself is daunting, at least it appears that way. Because what's a founder's reaction for when they want uh, to build a financial model? They go ask out and say, hey, can I borrow yours? I'll use it as a template, right? They'll borrow others and then you open this up and it's this like 20 tab monster. Like, where do you start? Companies work differently. So not all models, there's some overlap, but not all models will work for everyone. So when I turn to work with founders, I break it apart. And when you put it together brick by brick and you're working together to come up with a model together, 
at the end, it looks like a 2010 monster, but the founder understands it because we built it together and all the moving parts, and that's what makes them comfortable. And then they can then do these what-if scenarios that they were never able to do before. Okay. We'll get into a little bit of that later, but so you you have actually said that that when you're actually talking about your company, the numbers have to also tell you the how and the why behind your financials. So what does it really mean like for the business itself? What impact does this financial have on your operations? Yeah, so having a financial model is very handy. For example, it gets your team to be on the same page. You're too small to have siloed teams. So, you know, having everyone operate on a on a old machine going the same way, it's super important. So, for example, if your projections say that, you know, you're going to triple your sales next year, but you didn't give sales any additional resources, people will push back on that, right? So you're not on the same page. So you come to a point in which there, there's an agreement. Oh, okay, I get to hire two more people. I get to use this. I get to go to this conference, et cetera. Then it makes sense. Where are you going to get these sales from, right? So last thing an investor wants to see is like tremendous sales, but then no and no resources put into doing that. So how does that make sense, right? In, in terms of your story. Okay. So you, um, so the one thing that I think we talked about in the break was the fact that this can be used like throughout your company's process because now you don't have to really silo marketing efforts versus product efforts versus sales efforts. Now finance can be kind of integrated into all your numbers so that there is an implication on sales. How many customers did I grow this, this week? What marketing campaigns did I do? To, did I do? Did I execute to actually grow those numbers? And uh, so it goes beyond, I would say, click-through rates, engagement rates, and now you could actually see the implications on traction from the perspective of new customers and revenue, right? Yeah, for sure, and it uh, it allows you to kind of run these different scenarios, you know. So, say for example. Your financial model should tell you what your runway is, like how much life is left in terms of cash flow that your company has. Now, what if you bumped into someone and they thought that you thought that they would be a good addition to the team, either as a founder or whatever? Okay, so we got to hire this person. What do we pay them? Well, if we bring them on, how much does it shorten our life? You know, and you can get those kind of answers like right there in the model. You just put that person in there. Then it maybe goes from eight months to six months. Are we okay with that? Are we going to raise? So it allows you to plan financially, kind of prepare yourself for, um, you know, dealing with the runway if, if it's adjusting, right? The model also gives you an answer to a very common investor question, which is like, how much money do you need? Well, let's not pick a number out of thin air, right? So if you have a plan, let's say it's a three-year plan, and you intend to take these initiatives and see sales are going to increase here. And that's your story. And in order to do that, how much money you need is derived through a financial model as opposed to you picking numbers. So you don't want to be an investor that says one and a half million. Well, where, where did it come from? I'm not sure, but maybe 500K. Like you just don't want to be, you know, right. wishy-washy in that way. I can, I can see this spreadsheet growing 
ever more vastly from like, say, one tab to 10 tabs, especially when you start doing the testing, right? So yeah. from like from your perspective, so we, we talked about now, like the importance for you and your business for communicating it in a way that's effective for also your stakeholders and investors. What are some of the techniques to actually communicate this story? Yeah. So, you know, as a founder, you want to, founders, when they pitch, they're used to telling their story in the past, right? So in, in essence, your financial projections are, is trying to tell the story that's coming up, right? And so people often ask me, like, how many years do you need to go? Well, the answer is as, as long as you need to tell that story, right? And it might be different company to company. If you're a SaaS-based company and your product's already in the market, it might be three years that you can tell your story. If you're a med tech company that's just starting and you need to do a lot of research and FDA approvals and things like that, you know, you tell the story of, you know, four years of high cost and just cost. And then, you know, what's the plan to get the, the product to market, right? So that's a totally different story and it should reflect, you know, in those numbers. There's also, I guess, if, when you talked about doing scenarios mm -hmm. and a new company has come into the horizon and they have a similar product to you. So you want to understand, I guess, the implications of them potentially stealing share from you. And what, what does that mean in terms of, let's say, how it's going to impact your revenue or the kind of customers that you're going to get and whether or not they're going to encroach on your business? That, is, that, is that effective? Can that be effectively done through your modeling? Yeah, you can definitely incorporate market share into it. I mean, every everyone has competitors, even if it's an innovative product on the market, right? You have to be measuring the rate in which you're grabbing that market from others, right? So that's something that's important for founders to reflect on is, is there a solution when, let's say it's B2B sales, is it a new line item? of cost for them, or does it replace a line item that's already there? So someone needs to um, cancel someone else to, to be with you. So that's important, something to keep in mind when you're, um, when you're doing sales and everything. So, you know, that, that competitive landscape, you know, see where you are, how do you position yourself relative to this competitor? How are you different? You know, and if you can carve your own space, it's a lot safer. If you're direct competitors, and, you know, sometimes it's about speed. Who's going to get there first? Okay. That's cool. I, I think the, like, the one thing that I'm starting to realize is that all these if-then scenarios will also allow you to actually model, like, what happens when something goes bad, right? So if you were to, it, it's almost historical in a way, too, because if you executed a campaign and it actually had less than stellar results, then it provides a transparency to investors, but it also allows you to learn from that and determine what particularly were the, I said, variables that led to that specific outcome. Yeah, super important to reflect on what happened, where, if things went wrong, why or how, learn from that. And, you know, in your next round of investor talks, it's important to say, hey, this is what we tried. This didn't work, but we found that this worked, and that's why it's exciting. And you move forward that way, you know? So it's important to be able to communicate something like that. Okay. So let's go into some of 
your best practices or some areas that you think that founders should be aware of when they're building something like this? Yeah. So some of the best practices, you know, financial, like, like I said, it should be in monthly numbers. I've seen companies try to get away with a quarterly number, but that's not enough detail. I would say monthly for as long as you can tell your story and your story should also incorporate what your plan is in terms of go-to-market. What's the go-to-market strategy? So for example, if it, you know, your strategy is regional based, you're going to start, start in Ontario, and then you're going to go to Quebec, and then you're going to go to the U.S. after that intentionally, you know, for example, like that should reflect in your financials and what costs would be involved in doing a strategy, you know, like that, you know, um, so, you know, incorporate the story in there. You know, if you see sales ramping up, I should expect to see extra resources in sales, whether it be headcount or just money resources, right? So that's, that's, that's what makes sense. So make sure the, you know, the story uh, aligns with everything else. Okay. So the next, so the next one is organizing a roll-up structure. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So in your financial model, make it easy to read for the reader, right? And if you, I tend to like to put on the very left tabs, your assumptions and then high level reporting. So maybe yearly summary, right? And then as you go to the right, it gets more granular. So you can answer questions at any level. Monthly might turn into, sorry, quarterly might turn into monthly numbers. And then monthly numbers in terms of an income statement is your complete statement. But then the tabs to the right of that break down everything. So maybe different lines of revenue, different pricing, um, your different cost centers, sales, who's being hired there, marketing, GNA, R&D, uh, development. You know, these are kind of departmental tabs to have as well that eventually roll up to your monthly profit loss or income statement, right? So I like that structure and it, it allows the person to easily be able to what we call like drill up or drill down, you know, come up or come down, high level, low level. When you're organized that way, people are actually quite impressed with, with your model. And along those same lines, make it friendly to read in terms of color coding, right? So it makes it easier for you too. If it's a, if it's a calculated field, let's say it's white, meaning you don't overwrite that cell. Because what you don't want to do is get into kind of like Excel maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. So if that line's white, don't touch it. If the line is yellow, they're for inputs. Yes, you can, you can edit those and do what if scenarios with it, right? Or, you know, if there's, if color coded blue, for example, if it's a line that's taken from another tab, right? So if you organize yourself that way, people know where the source of your assumptions come from and where you, how your numbers derive, right? And it's easy for you. You open up a financial model, if you, especially if you haven't seen it in for a while, then you know immediately, I can touch the yellow cells. I don't touch the other cells, right? So kind of thing. So it's okay. very important to organize yourself that way. In terms of other best practices, I would say like for startups to kind of have two scenarios. One scenario that says, if I keep going, you know, I'll grow slowly and that's fine. You know, we're still doing well and you know, we'll just grow slower. But if we get that cash injection, if we get that million dollars, this is what our plan is. 
you know, and that's why you should invest with us, right? So what does that scenario look like? And it, that can involve more aggressive sales, more headcount, more, you know, everything. So. That's actually interesting because what you're basically doing is you're taking the two scenarios and you're making an assumption about how that's actually going to play out over over time. And you can make, a, I guess, a quick determination about which paths that's more reasonable to follow because you've done that, right? Yeah, for sure. And what the model also um, lays out very nicely to someone looking at it for the first time is all your assumptions. Like, for example, like if your assumption is, you know, we're going to do business in the U.S. and we're going to assume in the next three years that the exchange rate is what it is today. Fair assumption. But let's say midway through that scenario, a year and a half later, the U.S. dollar tanks or, you know, then you can actually change those inputs in your assumptions tab and have that ripple through the model. Now, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. How, did it change our, the life of our, our runway? Did it change how much money we need now? You know, so you can run through those kind of scenarios. Okay. So let's talk about building the model. So how long does it take and how do you get started? Yeah. So like, I want to remind people that kind of don't have that finance background. Like it's not something you can lock yourself up in a room and and do within a few hours or or a day, right? It's something that evolves and it takes some reflection. and, And so usually when I work with founders, typically six to eight weeks, we'll get this up and running, not full time, obviously, but meetings here and there passing back and forth. Hey, does this make sense? Hey, does this work? Is this, is this a realistic scenario? And then, so you go back and forth and it takes place about six to eight weeks. Then you get some pretty robust uh, financials by that point. And you won't realize it, but you're actually learning as you're building. So you're going to be very equipped to go into those investor conversations. Typically that journey of creating that financial model is broken down into two parts. One is to set up the actual structure of the model, you know, like the different tasks we Right. Uh, we talked about in the formulas, the right formulas and the roll-up structure. And then the second part is to really go through critiquing it, right? Critiquing the story, critiquing if it makes sense. You know, like I said in that scenario, like I see sales tripling, but no more salespeople. How does that work, right? So, you know, almost poke holes in it and get an external pair of eyes even to critique it. Like, does this make sense right there's that part of it as well and so i think i i do that for founders as well like i question them like if these are your assumptions and this is what your plan is how does this make sense here and you know if their explanation isn't so good that that's actually kind of practice for them in those investment mm-hmm. questions i kind of put on my investment hat on and kind of grill them on that a little bit so if if there so in this model do you see an integration somehow among the spreadsheets when it comes to, let's say, marketing performance versus sales performance versus, let's say, new registrations, et cetera? Yeah, or, absolutely. Do all those, so they're all part of this. They're all part of tab. it because okay. your, your sales goals, your revenue numbers will break down into number of deal sizes, uh, deals, right? Number of deals. And that should, if you do the math, work backwards using your conversion rate, how many leads do you need? How much awareness do you need? So it's a whole funnel 
And that's why we talk about the importance of your team being on board. Is if marketing is expected to deliver 10,000 leads this year, is that reasonable with what resources and sales based on this conversion rate, which we've proven in the past, you should be able to get the sales dollar, yes or no, right? So get people on the same page and then you measure everything all the time. And that's kind of how you get that operations running like a well-oiled machine. Okay. Okay. So what else though, outside of this model, what should we be prepared to deliver alongside of it? Yeah. So along with your financial model, you should definitely have cash flows, a cash flow model. So cash in and out, right? So cash is king, as most people heard. So, you know, at what point do you run out of cash? If we do this, do we extend it? If we do this, do we shorten it? You kind of play with that, right? So cash flow projections. Projected balance sheet, not every company needs this or uses this. But if let's say you're a product-based business and you intend to have a lot of inventory, you know, then it really matters. Because again, like if you have high levels of inventory, takes up cash, high levels of receivables or payables, et cetera, right? You should also have as a nice to have is anything budget versus actual, right? So if you midway through the year, you had a initial budget or initial projection, then if you had, if it, if you're midway through the year, you see six months of actuals and then you see your budget, does it make sense? Or do we need to adjust the rest of the year's budget because of what happened in the first six months, you know, like a reforecasting, right? And as a early startup, uh, you'll also need like pro forma cap table. Where do you see your company going later? And then being able to see, well, how much are you willing to give up for the next investor to come in? And then how much does everyone have from the whole piece of the pie, right? So it's, it's important to project that as well. That in itself is one session. I can, that I can in itself that. is, could be, could the be a session. The formal cap table, the minute you start determining how to, you know, divide up your company among employees, among, among your founders, and even invest that in itself is a learning experience. So I'll probably have you back for that. Okay. Any, any final thoughts, Yankee? Yeah. Oh, my, my thoughts are like, try to take a proactive approach. Think about this sooner than later. Ask for help when you need it. And, um, you know, I hope you're in an environment where you can ask any questions you want. And, you know, there, there are experts out there that can help you get started. Um, yeah, so I would say, you know, take the initiative. Okay, perfect. Thank yeah. you. So you are on LinkedIn? I assume, yes, I am. Just in case anybody who has any kind of financial questions or, at, or are seeking advice, I encourage you to find Yankee on LinkedIn. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much, Yankee. And I think you, you kind of changed my view on finance. Oh, we had this discussion. I'm going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't understand. Right. But now I do. Now I do, because I'm, I'm looking at it as almost like the foundation for everything. That it you is. Do it business, is. Right. Yeah. Very cool. So thank you. Again, um, so that's all for Tech Uncensored. Also find us on podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hesse Jones, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Have fun and stay safe. Tech Uncensored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemax. 
For more tech-incensored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.